Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello. Dad. Yes. I want to see if you can do it again. What's that? July 19th through the 22nd, 1990, the British Open happened. Who won? 1990. That's 20 years ago? It's 30 years ago. This is for 30, Pop. <laughs> 1990. Let's go with John Daly. No. Okay. Nick Faldo. Nick Faldo. Okay. No. Only took you two guesses. Sir Nick Faldo. He's oh. won it like three times. Sir Nick Faldo. Yes. He has been granted knighthood. Wow. Yes. Well, good for him. Now he's one of the primary golf analysts on CBS. Anyway, that's all I had for you. I just wanted to know if you would be able to pull that out of the recesses of your memory. All right. Good deal. All right. Bye. Bye. From Mel U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 30, Hip-Hop History and Parenting Problems. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, July 28, 1990. Hello friends, and welcome to what is bound to be one of the quickest updates we've ever had on this show. Not because the world wasn't exciting 30 years ago this week, and not because I don't love you, but because, after months of social isolation and physical distancing, with likely many more months to go, to my great delight, my mom, who tends to be many people's favorite part of this show, none taken, is in town to visit for a few days, and I just want to enjoy as much time with her as possible, which means allowing myself a little break this week. But I refuse to leave you at the mercy of Google and Wikipedia to find out what was happening in the world of pop culture this week in 1990. I've accepted that that is my responsibility, and it's one that I take very seriously. Probably too seriously, in fact. Regardless, let's look back, shall we? On July 24th, 1990, rapper and early, if not founding member of the highly influential Bronx-based Boogie Down Productions, D-Nice, released his solo debut, Call Me D-Nice. I realize that may not be a super familiar name or memorable album for a lot of folks, but trust me, it was fantastic. D-Nice, or Derek Jones, got involved with the group in 1986 at the age of 16 when he befriended its founding DJ, the late Scott LaRock, who was tragically murdered a few months after the release of the group's debut album, Criminal Minded, in an attempt to assist Jones in an altercation. D-Nice continued alongside BDP's founding MC and central voice, KRS-One, into the early 90s while simultaneously launching his relatively short-lived solo career. Here's why this matters in pop culture history, though. While they may be a peripherally familiar name at best to many folks, Boogie Down Productions was incredibly influential on the music that would follow over the next few years and even into today's hip-hop. Hailing from the South Bronx, BDP was among the first to treat hip-hop as more than the simple party music it had always been and instead described the violence and poverty of the milieu from which it was born in graphic detail effectively giving birth to the gangster rap genre that became prominent over the decade that followed. 
KRS-One, known by his peers at the time as the Blastmaster, is also credited by many as the original battle rapper. Where rap battles had always existed as a competition between MCs to see who could generate the most energy or excitement at a party, KRS-One is largely considered the original champion of using the form to attack another MC lyrically. Following the murder of Scott LaRock, rather than doubling down on the violent undertones of their debut album, BDP shifted into more socially and politically conscious lyrical work, and KRS-One shifted away from his role as hip-hop's blastmaster into one as hip-hop's teacher. In fact, their sophomore album, 1988's By All Means Necessary, is thought to be one of, if not the first, politically conscious hip-hop albums. D. Nice, still only 20 years old at the time of his solo debut, was, if only by proximity, one of KRS-One's greatest protégés. And despite only releasing two albums as a solo MC, D. Nice, like KRS-One, remains today one of the most prominent and widely respected figures in the genre, with a massive platform on social media which he still uses well. Definitely give him a follow and check out the music video for the lead single and title track from this record in the show notes. Other music news from this week in 1990, the top album in the country remained MC Hammer's Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, as it would for months to come, and the top song in the country was, once again, She Ain't Worth It by Glenn Medeiros featuring Bobby Brown. The hot country and hot rap charts looked the same as last week as well, with Garth Brooks's The Dance and the West Coast Rap All-Stars were all in the same gang in their top spots. The only change we saw this week was that Johnny Gill's My 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 was replaced after two weeks as the number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart by his future LSG groupmate Keith Sweat's single Make You Sweat. And, once again, you'll find a link to the music video for that song in the show notes. There were a couple notable movie releases on July 27, 1990, one of which immediately took over the top spot at the box office its opening weekend. Harrison Ford and Brian Dennehy's illegal drama presumed innocent. It's gonna be so good. Carolyn Paulemus was murdered last night. Some creep got into her place somehow and strangled her. It looks like she was raped. Rusty, I want you to handle this case personally. You're the only one around here I can trust. Just catch me a bad guy. You're in charge of this investigation. There are 150 lawyers down there. They couldn't find one who didn't sleep with her. Find out which of the creeps she put away is out on parole. She's dead. And you're still obsessing. You were in Carolyn's apartment the night she was killed. We've got the fingerprint results. There's a call from your house to hers that night. This is absurd. Go ahead, play cool. I know. You killed her. You're the guy. Why didn't you tell me about you and Carolyn? This is my life. We're not talking about some gossip. Indeed, you will go to trial. You're still in love with her. A couple fun facts about this movie, which I have as of this recording yet to see, but intend to watch in the next couple days. Thank you, HBO Max. Harrison Ford wasn't the original choice for the role of the film's protagonist. It was originally offered to the always amazing Kevin Costner, who turned it down. Robert Redford was also considered for the role, but was nixed for his age. The film is adapted from the 1987 debut novel of the same title 
by author Scott Turow, and the film rights for it were sold a full year before the book was even published, after a huge bidding war between all the major production companies, which ended with a winning bid of a million dollars by Mirage Enterprises. I cannot imagine making a million dollars for the rights to a book you haven't even published yet. Makes me wonder if I may be in the wrong business. The total budget for the film was $20 million, which seemed to be the standard going rate for a 1990 summer blockbuster. $7 million of that went to Harrison Ford, which, again, makes me wonder if I may be in the wrong business. But the film grossed nearly $222 million worldwide at the box office and eventually even spawned two different television series sequels. The other movie that released on July 27, 1990, made about a third as much money, but I definitely saw that one. The John Ritter dark comedy Problem Child. Kids, they're the hope of the future. You two really must have a lot of fun together. Yeah, these little rascals really make life worth living. But Ben and Flo have a problem. Are you absolutely sure there's no hope? Oh, none whatsoever. Florence, why can't we adopt? Okay, let's get a kid. Okay, you want a little baby? Well, old baby's a little. It's no problem there. Just this morning, I came upon a seven-year-old. A smartest attack. A little rambunctious. But weren't we all at that age? <laughs> oh, he does look very presentable in that little bow tie. He's evil. That's a wicked mind. Look what he did in art class. Skeletons, headless corpses. No, 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 no don't. Please, please, don't hyperventilate. Hey, we must have gotten the pick of the litter. Look, everyone's come out to see him off. I would like to proudly present the newest member of the Healy family, Junior. He's got the face of an angel. It's the devil. I hope you guys are insured. He's got a special world with pets. Poor Fuzzball. He'll never be the same. He's got the keys to the car. <laughs> My new car! No! A child needs is to be loved. We've adopted Satan. You took him, he's yours. That's because you condescend to it. What am I supposed to do with the little creep? He's already been returned 30 times. He's mad. He's bad. He's seven. I'm gonna be eight in two weeks. Don't count on it. John Witter. Some fun facts about this movie. I didn't realize until researching for this episode that it was shot in my hometown, Fort Worth, and the surrounding cities of Dallas, Irving, Mesquite, and Farmers Branch, Texas. The role of Junior, the actual problem child in the film, went to young Michael Oliver after the still relatively unknown Macaulay Culkin auditioned for and was denied the part. And John Ritter's character, Ben Healy, was almost played by Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Richard Dreyfuss, Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, and Kurt Russell, each of whom, with maybe the exceptions of Dreyfuss and Russell, I can totally picture in the role. Lastly, the part of the movie's villain, the bowtie killer, was originally offered to Christopher Lloyd, but he had to turn it down as he was busy wrapping up Back to the Future 3. So the role was given to Michael Richards, who'd just begun his role as Seinfeld's Cosmo Kramer. 
Despite receiving horrible reviews upon its release and continuously over the three decades that have passed since, the movie was technically pretty successful. It had a budget of around $10 million and a gross return of over $70 million worldwide. It also spawned two sequels and two TV series, although one of them was never actually produced. That being said, even as a kid, the humor in this movie just never really did anything for me. Maybe if Macaulay had gotten the role, who knows. Anyway, that's just about it for this week, friends. Really quickly before I sign off, I do want to share the results of last week's very fun Christmas in July-themed 30 Pop Trivia Night. Despite a fair amount of controversy with regards to whether or not an actor's last name alone should suffice as a complete answer to a question, we had one very clear winner for the evening. And while I generally love to give this person a hard time, exclusively, I'm not too big to admit that 30 Pop regular and Trivia Night OG Haley Durrett put on an absolute clinic of obscure pop culture Christmas knowledge. She dominated, and she deserves credit. Well done, Haley. I'm impressed. Our next trivia night is just around the corner on August 5th, and our theme for the evening is lines, lyrics, logos, and slogans. Think movie quotes, catchphrases, famous branding, etc. All from the 80s and early 90s. It'll be a blast as always, friends, so be sure and register now at 30poptrivia.com, which is linked in the show notes. All right, that's all i got for you today. I'll be back next week for some more retro fun. Until then, let's cut the crap, Mr. Peabody. Either Junior goes or you find yourself some new nuns. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>